We are the overdog. No longer the underdog, only overdog. Yeah. But which one is updog? Shut up. Welcome to Chapel Wilker, stats focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Nathan. And I'm Justin. Or as he's known, his cool dad name, Jay Bray. His math rock name, <laughs> Jay Bray. Or Red. When I'm driving my, my Suburban full of children down to, uh, I guess, the soda shop. I don't know what dads do. What do dads do? Yeah, no, well, <laughs> soda shops don't exist anymore until a dad has a car Shit. load full of children. And then they just sort of spring and, into existence. <laughs> and a crisis. And a crisis, yeah. <laughs> Dad doesn't know what to do. All right, so we are here today as always, to review the latest University of Georgia football game, nominally. Uh, that's an important word in that sentence. And today, in particular, we re- we're going to be reviewing uh, the most recent matchup between your Georgia Bulldogs and the fighting Mizzou Tigers of Columbia. And so we're going to do some experiences on the day. We actually got to see each other at this game, which is rare and awesome. We're going to talk about some stats. We are going to talk about sort of where we are in the season, some observations. We're going to answer some of your questions. We have the triumphant return of James Bearfield's, <clears throat> Dr. James Bearfield's Troll Corner, presented by Sheerwine, the wine, what gives you diabetes. TM, TM, TM. And then we are going to, mm-hmm. we've got some rage from Yara, and I think that's about it. So let's get, let's get started. So Justin, talk to me about your day. Oh, man, it was an unexpected day for me. And what I mean by that is that I had an old friend reach out over email and tell me he had some tickets for me, you know, which is truly one of the I, I say this all the time. If you live in Athens long enough and you say a small handful of times that you enjoy football games, then you will never want for football tickets ever again. You can't be choosy or picky about the football tickets you get. You will just get them at some point and you will people will remember for some reason. Or I guess you can run a football podcast for X number of years, too. That helps. That's a deeply but, Taoist way uh, of I did come at in some. It. Like, yes, like the, absolutely. The path, yeah, the they come path to you. To football tickets. You sit under the banyan tree, and then the football <laughs> tickets appear for you, right? They do. Yeah, if you close your eyes long enough and open them, when the time feels right, right, the tickets will appear. Yeah, it's it's. I call it. You know, I I just Athensed my way into some tickets. Is what I told uh, my football friend Will, who comes with me to all the games. Um, but I had an old friend reach out. Uh, and I'm almost sure I'm pretty positive that these times overlapped and all these people knew each other. Actually, I am positive, but I don't know if this friend was at the event that I'm about to, to talk about. But a few episodes ago, I talked about Slippery Mike and I shared the Slippery Mike story and Blake, who was kind enough to give me these tickets. Um, I got to see him after several years of not seeing him and I met his son, um, who speaks better Spanish than all of us, which was really cool. Uh, so yeah, I'm just going to say Blake and Micah, thanks so much for the tickets. But also he was, I don't know if he was at the slippery Mike story party. I just texted him before we started recording to see, but it's like, this is prime bedtime for kiddos and dads. Mm-hmm. Blake, what do dads, dads do? Actually, I should have asked Blake, yeah. what, do dads what do dads do? Where are the soda shops set? Where's the nearest one? <laughs> you might get like a real existential uh, sure. answer. Yeah. What do dads do? all day uh but yeah i got to sit so you know all that to say these tickets were not like 600 level tickets which i'll say i love the 600 level tickets they're great they're out of the way you get to see the whole field it's insane 
Um, but this time we were on the the end zone um, on the opposite side of Tate, and we were in in the kind of the splash zone of all of the field goals being kicked. And so that was pretty awesome because there were a lot of field goals being kicked on Saturday. Uh, several times the ball was just like three or four people away from us. And I got to say, I just really enjoy like the camaraderie of all the folks that have season tickets and all those people like know each other and they all love seeing each other every Saturday for however many years they've been coming. Um, and all the people that were around us were super kind because they knew that we we didn't be- belong there, quote unquote. <laughs> they weren't our tickets, but they were still really excited to meet us and like involve us. And so that was really cool, too. Uh, I really enjoyed that. But uh, I finally got to sit in one of those little red seats. Those little red seats you see up in the stands. Never sat in one before. They're great. Fantastic. I want one in my house. I want to be sitting on one right now. Uh, other kind of uh, experiential observations. Got to see Thick Kicker. Thick kicker of the Mizzou Tigers. Love him. He has my heart. Uh, blooper. The the blooper anonymity. Like the, you know, the, the the haze was lifted. I saw Blooper without his costume on. He's a zaddy. Zaddy inside and out. Uh, blooper is. The guy didn't look like he had been sweating or had been in a mascot for the last several hours. But good looking guy. That's how hot people uh, are, man. Other, <laughs> that's, how, that's how hot people do. They're just always ready. Never sweating. Always good. Uh, but the very last uh, note I have here is just Dan Jackson, because I've never heard Dan Jackson's name said so many times. I knew he existed, but uh, the very first time that the ball was thrown to Dan Jackson's side of the field, Will and I looked at each other and we were like, that's the guy I would pick on on this team if I were throwing a ball, if I were a quarterback. And then he was picked on for the last for the next like several drives, but it didn't matter because Dan Jackson was cleaning up. He was doing his job. So Dan Jackson. Very good. What about you? How was your experience? I just want to say he he did lead the team with six solo tackles. So yeah. that your your, up, your inference was correct. So, you know, the early wake up was pretty rough. I got there I was actually late. I didn't get there till like six twenty and we started at six, but uh, you know, some of the Whoops. I think the Sousa trucks got there at like five ten or something. So it was definitely a long day. It was a very, you know, practice went well. I thought, you know, it was really awesome to see my boy, my big, my, my big, beautiful six, eight redheaded co-host at the game. He sort of, he, <laughs> I, I will say Justin did not describe this part, but when he came down to see us in the band and you didn't motion, but you did get to see Yara, I think, right? Did you? I did. Did you say that? Yes. Yeah. I did see Yara. Yeah. Uh, I did not get to say that. I'm sorry. No, that was that was pretty awesome that y'all got to see each other in person, and it was great to see Justin. But Justin also did a very Athens move where he sort of just like somehow got down beside the band and then just stood inside of the band, and his friend Will was like, <laughs> "Can we be here?" And it will. And Justin was just like, "Yeah, we're here." It's like he goes. He was like, "I think I'm in the way," and I was like, "You are." And then I just kept on with my conversation. Yeah, you are. Just stand here. <laughs> like, yeah, We're here that's, now. That's given. And it's just weird. It was just kind of weird because, like, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, we have like security personnel on either side or like stadium security on either side of the band that kind of keep people from messing with the band. And Justin apparently just sort of like, uh, I'm one with the force and the force is one with me his way through. I just walked through. Yeah, just, and he was like, I was like, how'd you get down there? And he's like, oh, I just came down. And I was like, that's not. <laughs> that's not how that works that, that you are an exception to the rule my friend uh but i i, I thought, know what it was i thought that was a very that was a very justed sort of just like 
Justin sneaky, sneaky, stealthy, right? Not just stealthy, but st- sneaky about his ability to be stealthy. Uh, he's sort of like the is. guy who can only be invisible when no one's looking at him. Uh, let's see. So <laughs> halftime was very emotional on so many levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we were honoring Coach Rick and we put the Redcoats put a show together in one week. We learned the music two weeks ago. And they did not know any of the sets, any of the entrance or exit, none of the marching stuff as of Tuesday. So we put all of that on on Tuesday and Thursday. We also had integrated a bunch of samples and clips into the show, like the Soldier Boy thing and in the Air Tonight intro. And uh, the guy who works the front ensemble, Andrew, had a brass band concert during one of the during the Friday practice, which is when we were going to firm all of that up. And I had been working with wow. that, and so that was super stressful. It was a very stressful week, uh, but we got it done, and I was very proud of the band. They went out there and played a show that did not look like it had taken a week to put on. And it did take a week to put on, no. and it was very high stress in a lot of ways, but we got it done. There was a lot of people – I heard a lot of people from the band, from different sections of the band who do not know, see each other, say, well, we just got to get through this week. <laughs> Like it was one of those weeks where like there were many people like echoing that sentiment. Basically, I felt like did a really good job, but it was also it was still just like halftime was just like really emotionally draining because we had a dedication to Cassie Motes, who was our flag line instructor who's passed away before halftime. And it was one of those things where Tom, uh, Tom Jackson, who was the voice of the Redcoat band, Dr. Tom Jackson, rather. He choked up in the middle of his dedication, and then I choked up, and then, you know, Mark Richt was, like, right there, and our la- the last set of the show was, like, Rick's, like, name in script or whatever, and he came out, and I- it was just really cool. Like, it was just a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings. I saw there was an old – one of my old students that I tutored at the writing center when I was at UGA at the Athletic Academic Writing Center over at Rankin-Smith was there. Uh, it was Nathan Theus, who was, uh, if you uh, remember John Theus, he's a very famous, uh, well, not famous, but he was like sort of an offensive lineman in the, I want to say, mid-2010s kind of era, UGA. Uh, Nathan was his brother, who was also on the, who was also on the, the, the team who I think he, Nathan was a long snapper, I want to say. Um, but anyway, so I saw Nathan and. Not this Nathan. What? different nathan yeah nathan theus i'm joking yeah. go ahead yeah so yeah, yeah. sorry back up all of mark rick's <laughs> captains were there from 2001 to 2015 and nathan the other uh-huh. nathan was there to honor him and i was very touched because he knew my name and he saw me and remember me he's like you look really good it's great to see you and we hugged and um so i don't know it was just like for someone who can be not very healthily attached to his emotions occasionally. It was like a 15-minute span, span, time span where I was like happy and crying. And it was a lot, but it went really well. So I was happy. It's uh, <laughs> a lot going on. Yeah, it was. there was a lot of a lot of emotions. Yeah, John Theus was one of the first like very good offensive linemen to come to UGA in, a, in some time at the time that he committed to UGA. So uh, as for the game, uh, well, I mean, we'll talk about it in depth. I thought that... Outside of the game, Blooper, the Braves mascot, as you said, got up on the sort of railing in front of the Redcoats, the sort of like barrier between the track and the stands, and danced in front of the Redcoats while they played Power by Kanye West, which was a very cool experience. It was really cool. I saw Jock Peterson. That dude is built like a brick house. He's huge. Jock Peterson is thick. He is dummy thick. 
And I guess I knew that from seeing him, but then seeing him was really powerful. Rodrigo was there, and I had... Mm-hmm. I really, we were really laughing because they they were introducing all these old players who would come back, and then DeAndre Swift and Rodrigo were there, and it was like they introduced DeAndre Swift, who was like a very good running back in the NFL, one of the better running backs to come through UGA in the past 10, 15 years, and there was like yeah, right, and then they introduced this tiny, skinny white boy, Rodrigo Blankenship, <laughs> after him for some reason, and then the whole stadium was like, ah! and I was just yeah! like, I mean, look, don't weep for him, he's a millionaire, but can you imagine being DeAndre Swift and being like. Hey, do you remember when I won the 2017 SEC championship by myself? Do you remember that? Like, were you all there for that? That was not that long ago. Anyway. Not at all. Uh, so, yeah, it was a really good day. But you want you want to talk about it, like, you know, from a, from a football standpoint? You want to get into it? Yeah. Let's talk about it from a football standpoint. This right. game was... Uh, yeah. This is weird at first. You know, still that's me still speaking observationally. Like, I will... So... This is the, the the thing I said out loud to my friend Will, maybe by the end of the half, where I was like, man, I've never been so frustrated to be winning. <laughs> it was just because it was just kind of weird. It was a little sloppy. I think we felt some of the injuries more so than we have in past games. And maybe the stats show that a little bit. But the, the stats do say that we were never in any position to be in trouble. I will say that. But other than that, it was just kind of... I guess the eye test gave me that that perception. Is is there what can you show me from these stats that either tells me that's true, tells me I'm I'm full of shit or whatever? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think what you just said about you know the how how much in trouble we felt like we were was not reflected in the stats or the the sort of score. I think that's sort of a theme of what I want to talk about today because you're right. I mean, mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. even the advanced stat really. The advanced stats capture this as a blowout. UGA's lowest yeah. win expectancy was 94.4%. Uh, they, I, I think, you know, basically after the, I'm going to say the late last touchdown before the half, the two-minute drill touchdown, it went back up to 97, and it basically stayed mm-hmm. around 99 the entire time. So UGA was winning this game emphatically the whole time. In fact, per EPA, one of UGA's best days on the season, uh, you know, offensive EPA, yeah. 22.42, 21.93 PA overall. That's Those are both very good, and we did that on 70 plays. We held Mizzou to negative 13.54 EPA, negative 10.78 offensive EPA, which is like, I know that sounds bad, and it is. That's actually one of the better days that an offense has had against us this year per uh, net average EPA or whatever. Not net, but just average EPA. You know, when we look at like scrimmage plays, yards, all the all the sort of like classic stats, like UGA had a few more plays, but they outgained uh, they outgained Mizzou almost two to one, five hundred and ten yards to two hundred sixty three. You know, thirty passes on the day for UGA, so that was an over under win for me. Forty eight percent passing, fifty two percent rushing. You know, a very balanced day. Uh, from I mean, it's weird, just like. I have a lot of stuff to talk about and not all of it's positive from my mm-hmm. takeaways, but the stats don't catch a lot yeah. of that. Like we're going to talk about the, the, the run game. UJ went 168 yards on 33 plays, average yards per play 5.09, but had a negative two EPA on runs, negative 0.009 EPA running the ball. So that I guess is one thing that EPA catches that are sort of advanced stats catch that, that sort of, I would like to talk about. Um, Let's see. UGA continues to dominate the middle eight, you know, really kind of underperforming in the first quarter, but dominating the middle eight. They ran 14 middle eight plays for 9.81 EPA total, 0.70 EPA, 
per play, which is very, very good. Held uh, Missouri to six middle eight plays, which is very good. Uh, so, I you know, it's one of those games. It's, it's a game where it's like, look, you're the number one team in the nation. You come in, you play kind of a crappy first quarter. And you win forty three to six, and you know it's it's an unequivocal blowout. So, mm-hmm. on the one hand, I, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of concern. There's not a lot of concern for that, right? I mean, you know, Missouri had a defensive stop rate of eight percent. UGA had a defensive stop rate of forty five percent, which is actually pretty low for UGA on the day, right? UGA mm-hmm. had eleven havoc plays. They had eight tackles for loss, right? They only gave. They didn't give up any. Uh, they only gave up three tackles for loss, all on rushing plays. They only had the UJ's offense only surrendered one interception. So I don't know, man. It's just I, I'm having a hard time. Uh, like I'm having a hard time getting. You know, we, we do the thing where we're like, here's the advanced stats. Here's how that squares with our eye test, and it's like that's hard on this game. That I mean, it's really, really hard. And you know, if we look at our offensive concepts, which I want to get into a little bit more, UGA continues to just pound inside zone read. Um, 19% play share for 41.67 success rate. That's not that good, right? Inside power, ten per, mm-hmm. almost a 10% play share. They ran it six times on the day. 33% success rate. So, I mean, I think the story of the game for me, if you want to take away, what what does this mean for us going forward? I, I don't want anyone to accuse me of being too negative. Obviously, you're the number one team in the nation by pretty much every measure. And that didn't change. But I think we're starting to see a couple of chinks in the armor when it comes to this offense in the run game. And I think, you know, 33% success rate on inside power against a team that's a pretty bad defensive team, uh, especially against the run, it's concerning, right? I don't, I, don't, I don't think there's any way to equivocate on that. And, I mean, for all of the success that you're having in the passing game right now on deep shots, which you are, right? And that's great. Like, you're going to have to beat man coverage because teams are selling out to beat you on the run. I, I just think, you know, the guard play, especially in the center play, has got to improve when it comes in the run blocking game. Uh, and and I would say mm-hmm. in particular in the first quarter, which is I think also kind of starting to become a little bit of a a little bit of a pattern, right? We just have kind of slept walked, especially in terms of uh, run blocking. We've been sleepwalking basically through the first quarters of games and then kind of pulling them out and it, running away with them. And it's like one of those things where it doesn't show in the stats but it's still something to worry about because, you know, we worry. That's what yeah. we do. So we do. It's normal. It's normal as a Georgia fan, that's, as a Georgia sports fan in general. That's sort of what, that's a big picture stats overview. I mean, do you have anything to add for that? Any other games you want to talk about before we get into like just observations for this game? Uh, we Do you want to come back around to the other game? Just because I, I think that, well, no, let's do this actually. Yeah. I, I like what you're, where your head's at because we can, uh, try and talk a little bit about a game that matters a lot to us, uh, potentially, in the next four weeks that happened this weekend as well. It's the LSU and Alabama game. And that is a game that should have been, statistically speaking, a a big old blowout for Alabama, but it was not. Alabama only won 20-14, and near the end of the game, it looked like they were about to lose it. Uh, could, they just couldn't get their offense started. Uh, it, it, what can you tell me, I guess... This is a good reference point, I guess. So providing a reference point for this Missouri team who had, uh, a, you know, a first quarter that was a good defensive um, outcome for them. Uh, let's compare that, I guess, to this LSU defense who had just a stellar game against Alabama's offense, which seems to be the one thing that they are most proud of uh, 
doing the last few years is like having a productive offense. So what, what can you kind of tell me, I guess, uh, to provide a point of reference when we talk about this Missouri game? Well, you know, it's one of those things if, where... It's possible. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, yeah. Bama's, Bama's win expectancy uh, got as low at times as 79. In the third quarter, they got down to 76. So for a game that, like you said, in some ways probably should have been a blowout, it makes sense, right? You know, Bama had negative four offensive EPA on the day. They had negative 4.6 penalty EPA, which, you know, that's odd. That's rare for Alabama. Negative 6.82 special teams EPA. They missed a couple of kicks. They missed an extra point and a couple of field goals. You know, it's one of those things where, like, on a per-play scrimmage plays basis, Bama actually underperformed LSU per EPA. They were only outgained LSU by six yards. They only outgained yards per play against LSU by 0.75 or whatever. So, I mean, my my sort of like advanced stats takeaway comparing these two games across to each across from each other is that LSU has a we'll say uneven defense, right? They've had some good games and some bad games, but the fact that they were able to so effectively shut down Alabama's offense probably does bode well. Now, Alabama has a lot of good players, and I actually think Bryce Young is quite a good player. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think, you know, they've got Michi and they've got uh, Williamson or Jamison, sorry. They're, they're other sort of like star wide receiver that they just have apparently cloned in a factory, I guess, just the same wide receiver over and over again. He's like 6'3 and is impossible to tackle and runs well after the catch and is can really burn you. Anyway, um, I don't know how they keep getting that same guy, but neither here nor there. So it, I'm not saying I'm not saying that we in a theoretical SEC championship matchup should discount Alabama, but I, this is not the performance of a traditional, you know, dominant number one Alabama. If that makes sense, I mean, and it, even if we look as of right now, I don't have the updated CBC R squared like what that would look like for this week. But mm-hmm. even if we look at SP plus on the year. Uh, currently, UGA is first with a 31.4 overall rating, and Alabama is third with 27.1. That's a four-point gap, right? That's, uh, you know, I mean, it's not it's not huge, but for Alabama, <laughs> as Alabama, I mean, when's the last time that you, you thought, when's the last time that any advanced metric would have given you UGA over Alabama on a neutral field by four points? It's been a while, right? And so yeah. I, I think that this Alabama team is gettable. I don't know that I would predict that we're going to get them uh, because I have trauma that I have not yet worked through (laughs) on every level. But Uh I think that what the numbers see and what your eye shows you is that this is a very talented team that's been very inconsistent and has had some like structural problems defensively and is at, at sometimes just sort of like stupefyingly, confusingly had bad offensive performances. Now, if you had to count on can Nick Saban get a good offensive performance out of this team, then the answer would be almost certainly yes, right? So mm-hmm. in that sense, I, I don't know how much to take away from it, right? <laughs> but yeah. but I think, and that's just because uh, I'm broken on like a pretty fundamental level psychologically when it comes to this stuff. But if I was a neutral fan, mm-hmm. I I mean, I think it, I would be kind of just by the numbers that we follow when we want to make accurate predictions, I would I would have to predict a UGA win. Right. And so that's yeah. that's sort of where I am. I mean, and I mean, I don't know. Let, let's let's get back into the actual Missouri game because I don't want to get too far afield and we'll have yeah. an FCC championship preview oh, yeah. if it comes to that. But 
at, at this point in the season, despite, and I guess just to set up what we're about to talk about, despite all the sort of gripes or things that we're about to say about the game and about UGA as a team right now, from the biggest standpoint, UGA is the number one team. They're the number one team by a healthy margin in most statistical metrics or categories that you want to look at, advanced stats metrics or power ranking metrics. And I mean, life is good, right? So I think you, you mm-hmm. got to also just enjoy it. feels really good. Yeah. And so nothing that we're about to say takes away from that. It's just if we're going to be intelligent you know, consumers of college football and we want to predict what's going to happen, we have to look at things, not just where things are going well, but where they're not. So are you ready for some observations? Hit me with those observations. So one thing I think that is very obvious to me was was very obvious to me in on rewatch and just thinking about sort of how the last few games have gone. But even mm-hmm. as I was sitting there watching the game live, is that UGA has just not been playing very play, playing very well in the first quarter. Now I think mm-hmm. some of that has to do with play scripting, right? Your first couple of drives on the day are usually scripted right you have you decide what they're going to be uh beforehand and the fact of the matter is that a lot of our play scripts in the first two uh the first quarter the first couple of drives have been run heavy and we're just not executing our bread and butter inside zone runs very well and so obviously i think some adjusted play scripting to sort of try to open up the middle of the field a little bit more and if you're going to continue to run those inside runs between the guards and the center uh would help but also as much as I love Todd Munkin, I don't really love sort of what that says about where we are as a team. I think that, I mean, this is also just my opinion, and Todd Munkin knows way more about offense than I do, but I sometimes sense mm-hmm. that UGA is willing to sort of like keep things in the bag schematically, which is totally fine. It's Everybody does it. But I think UGA is very conservative when it comes to trying to do that. And, I mean, the fact of the matter is that it just hasn't worked, right? Getting out there and running yeah. inside zone – running like bluff read inside power and then like flood variations the your three most common plays on the first three plays of the game that's not going to lead to success against teams that not a scheme and even missouri as a not very good team knows how to scheme now missouri couldn't take advantage of it but you know we've been scoreless in the first four comp and i think the last four conference games in the fourth quarter i mean we scored with 43 seconds left in the first yes but you know what i'm saying so at this point mm-hmm. i think it's a pattern right and I think a lot of that pattern has to do with the fact that the offensive line, I, a lot of people have been saying, and it's true, but I think that it bears sort of like talking about in reverse because people have been saying lately, oh, well, the offensive line is blocking better as the game goes on. That's totally true. But part of the reason that they have the opportunity to block better in the in the run game is that they haven't been blocking well at all in the first half and first quarter, especially uh, to begin with, mm-hmm. right? They are very good pass blocking, pretty much have been, most of this year, right? Uh, they had a couple of whiffs against Missouri that were kind of, bleh. but in particular, I think the run blocking <laughs> between the guard and the center um, has just been not good. And and I don't actually think that it's just a guard center thing. I mean, what I'm seeing a lot on these inside zone reads is that the backside pressure is what's getting these, like we're, we have a lot of running backs getting tackled from behind, right? Where it's just like, you mm-hmm. you take a stutter step in order to try to see what you know what hole develops and sort of like hit the hole but as you take your stutter step you get hit by the defensive end from behind and so sometimes that's tight ends blocking or it's tackle blocking but either way it's not good when your most run play on the year which is also your most run play in a game 19% of your play share that was inside zone read against Missouri and 10% of your yard share 
right? So that's not an efficient play for you, right? Uh, 41% success rate, right, on, on inside zone read variations. And, I mean, that's just not – you don't want a play that you're running almost 20% of the time to only be responsible for 10% of the yards gained, right? And so at this point, I don't know, and I'm not smart enough to tell you whether or not the answer is – work on the actual, you know, schematics of the play, or if it's changed up the, you know, change up the play scripting, the meaning of the game, or it is make some changes at offensive line. But I mean, what I was seeing when I rewatched it, I rewatched like the compressed offensive plays for Georgia. Mm-hmm. And what I saw a lot of is it seems like the guards and Van Pran get c- confused on double, on double teams. Cause a lot of times these inside zones will, will involve like double team one guy. And then one of the pre pre one of the, the offensive lineman helping with the double team, a lot of times the center, will go up to the second level or guard, will go up to the second level and try to get a linebacker. And so what we saw a lot on Saturday was there was a guard going to take out a linebacker and then there was a defensive tackle behind him running at the at the running back. So that's a communication thing. So I, I don't really know what the answer is right now. Now on the plus side in run blocking, I thought that the two goal line touchdowns looked really good. There was like a wild dog, wild cat touchdown from James Cook that was very well blocked. The sort of jumbo that was really cool. Yeah, it was a very it was a very well designed play. The jumbo package touchdown. Uh, you know, Jordan Davis t- continues to be an excellent offensive tackle. He had like basically a wall block where he just like turned the whole left side of the line inside on that Zamir White and just set up the whole thing. So on the Zamir White touchdown. So that's you know goal short area goal line running game has been an area where UGA in the past few years has been pretty bad at. So. I think it's okay to say that that's going well, but ultimately I don't understand how it is that you can have so many misses on a play that you're running 20% of the time, right? And and I don't say that with frustration. I say it more just with like, there has to be an answer to this because that is literally your actual bread and butter, right? People, over, mm-hmm. people overuse the term literally, but like this is the play you run <laughs> the most. You cannot afford to be, to have so many one and zero yard games so many stuff rate problems on that play. I want to talk about the QBs in the takeaway. Um, because yeah, this is, that is the one thing that we can talk a lot, about. There's a sure. lot of talk about, there's a lot to talk about with the QB position. I really think that the, the skill, the skill position talent on this, on this team, if we just stick with the offense for a second is incredible. Uh, in particular, I think the wide receivers are playing really well. Aaron Smith, it looks like a real app weapon. I felt like this is the game where it was like Kyrus Jackson looks like old Kyrus Jackson. Like he was running around. He had a lot of energy. He was getting open. He blocked like a, he blocked like crazy for, for a guy of his size. Looks, looks really great. Uh, Darnell Washington is a cheat code blocking. I think it was a lad McConkey screen touchdown where basically like at the snap, the play was over. It was a touchdown because Darnell Washington just ran up to the guy and tackled his ankles and he just fell down. And, that was beautiful. And there was also a play that was like a wide run to the sort of right side of the formation where he just sort of got out in front and ran a guy 10 yards down the field. Uh, he looks really, really good. Um, I don't know. He just looks really good right now. I think James Cook is a very, very patient runner. He can only do so much on these inside zone runs, but when you give him a crease, he is really good at working that crease. I think Zamir White continues to look really good. But I think he overcommits sometimes, um, and that is another sort of, mm-hmm. not concerning, but another thing that bears watching going forward. I, he's an excellent running back, but sometimes he picks a hole, and his game is not making something happen when there's nothing there. That's what I'll say, right? And he is a guy who is really good at working when you ha- when you give him a little, 
but he's not a guy who is like a Nick Chubb, like there's nothing, I'm going to turn this into a four yard gain, which is fine, right? Like Nick Chubb's a once in a generation back, but it's just something to think about. Um, I thought defensively kind of a weird day, right? Obviously you have good, mm-hmm. you have good success. Uh, I thought we felt Adam Anderson's absence, right? The ongoing legal situation, uh, lost contain a couple of times. I thought Nicobe Dean, not Nicobe Dean's best day. He looked pretty hesitant at times. Uh, he over pursued a couple of times. He only had one tackle on the day. He kind of just got lost in traffic a lot, which is weird. He was not doing that. Now I will say to kind of transition in Mizzou offensively, I actually think they did a lot of stuff very interesting that kind of put our defense in a bind and they didn't really have the dudes to pull it off. But I think Tennessee is going to watch that tape. I mean, they did a lot of wide split overloaded wide receiver stuff, diamond formation. They ran this play that they ran this formation where it was like four wide receivers to the wide, wide side of the field and like wide split stuff. That is like a Josh Heupel thing. Uh, so I, I'm going to imagine Tennessee is doing that. And I think the reason that Missouri was doing that is because they want to try to take our linebackers out of the play so that they can't just fill to the side and run sideline to sideline. So you put them all the way outside. It makes it harder for Kobe Dean and Quay Walker to get out there into the edge and, uh, you know, tackle behind the line of scrimmage. Um, I mean, we could talk about the QB battle. I see that you have a couple of notes here about just like how the game went from Missouri's time. What do you think? What are you thinking? Any, any other notes oh, yeah. that I'm missing? Uh, the piece about uh, playmaking, it definitely seemed so I could see kind of from I was, you know, right behind uh, each of the teams every time they were moving down the field the other way. And it definitely looked like they were like the holes created by this Missouri offensive line. They did a lot of really great stuff. And they, they were able to, you're right, like, kind of cut off lanes to the defense because our, our defense, what they what they ended up having to do is like physically move people aside. Like I saw oftentimes just like, instead of beating people around, which our team is more athletic than a lot of other teams. Like you can't beat this team athletically. You have to beat them with play calling and, and scheming. And so it definitely seemed like there was a lot more uh, like their team was physically cutting off lanes. They were doing a lot more cross routes. Uh, and it, yeah, it was just very interesting to kind of see what kind of spots were, were kind of made for their, their team to actually make moves. It didn't end up mattering in the long run, but it was interesting in the, in the very early game. You're right. Like, that first quarter and into some of the second, the way that the Missouri offense was able to kind of do something. And I think that's kind of what, what kind of led to that perception of it looking kind of sloppy. Uh, uh, you know, the piece, the piece about Zamir white, you, you mentioned uh, Zamir white uh, over committing. And uh, <laughs> I don't know if this is actually in any way related to that. It, it, it isn't actually, but it, it, you can kind of see this translated in, there was a play, I believe, in the third where he went for a, a, a block and he blocked this guy so low that he like physically lifted and threw this man over him. <laughs> Did you get to see that? Was this Darnell Washington? No, it was Amir White. Oh, it was Amir White. No, I didn't see that one. I'm pretty sure it was. That's what I had in my notes. Like he, he lifted, he got super low and just started lifting and lifted this dude yeah, over that him dude, and kind of threw him up through the that air. That dude is like a power lifter type, right? He's yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other observations and kind of just watching the game, like Missouri, I, I am so proud and so impressed by Georgia not getting involved in the scrappiness of what this game almost became at parts because Missouri at the very beginning was acting, I put down in my nose, real chippy for a team that was only up three points and they were acting real chippy that only had three points and they were acting real mouthy for a team down 40 points at one point. So I saw tr- some of the Missouri guys trying to get like 
Georgia guy's goat, but it just didn't work. And I think that's just a lot of really great discipline, something they've really worked on. It's just not worth it. And so that, yeah, I, I was very, very impressed with all of that. Uh, what else you got as far as takeaways? Well, you have this note of Sawyer being out, being a real, oh, yeah. a really showing. Yeah. And I think you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, it was, it was definitely, yeah, it, that's all. I mean, just, well, yeah, the injury showed more in this game than in yeah, past games. I, I think um, and, and it has not been as obvious. I think it's clear at this point that like Sawyer is our, probably our best offensive lineman and that he is like sort of the heart and soul of that offensive line. And so mm-hmm. hopefully he's back soon. Right. Is what I will say, you know, let, let's start about takeaways. So I guess we can, we can end on the QB situation. One thing I wrote is that, like, mm-hmm. you know, this is the number one SP plus team in the nation, about a point and a half in front of the number two team, Ohio State, 31.4 point uh, SP plus number, 31 and a half points better than the average team on an average field, on a neutral field. You know, number six in offensive SP plus, number one in defensive SP plus. We've beat 40 points over an average team defensively for the first time this year. So everything we're about to say about the quarterback situation is Mm -hmm. has to be tempered with the fact that this is unequivocally the best team in the nation right now right you you saw an an insane weekend of chaos all across the country and this was the one team that just whatever else we want to say pretty much held serve beat the crap out of a team it should have beat the crap out of and then got out of there so uh, you know sometimes i might get accused of being we'll say a little uh overly critical uh from time to time mm-hmm. in both my personal and professional lives. So please understand <laughs> that I think the core of this conversation is you have to beat Ohio state and Alabama to win the national title. Nothing that we're about to talk about is probably going to affect any game other than those two games, except for maybe Tennessee. So keeping in mind that this is really a forward facing conversation and not a backward facing conversation is important. The point of this conversation is not to impugn the skills or abilities of anybody, especially Stetson and JT. Just my observations. So I'm going to give you some things mm-hmm. that I saw. I'd like to hear your thoughts about where we are. What do you think should happen when I get done? All right. All right. So heard the first thing <laughs> I think. So just thinking about both of them, Stetson, I thought he played a really good day, game in some ways. He threw, uh, some really nice deep balls, you know, but I think he got bailed out a couple of times. Uh, he threw a sort of a sideline. I think it was a wheel route from Kenny to McKinney McIntosh. That probably should have been a touchdown that he underthrew. Well, no, he overthrew it. He went was way over his head and McIntosh had like a, you know, a really nice one handed catch. And if he throws that ball in stride and in the right place, it's probably a touchdown. Um, you know, he got mm-hmm. bailed out by Jermaine Burton on one of those deep passes that probably should have been intercepted. I think there was a, uh, Brock Bowers catch across the middle that was just like the guy was right there and like probably could have been intercepted. So he's still a guy that kind of puts the ball up two or three times, you know, I mean, uh, two or three times a game. And I mean, I think it's kind of evidenced by the fact that he threw for a half and one half, he threw 19 passes. So that's. I will, I get, we'll say a half and one drive. He threw 19 passes. So that, 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 you know, kind of works out to like 35, 40 passes a game, which is more than we have been in the past where he was throwing like 20 passes, but still 
despite how how good he was, 13 for 19, 255, two interceptions, no or two touchdowns, no interceptions, 88 QBR, 13.42 yards per play, 1.2 EPA per play, 22 EPA added. That those are all 68 success rate, 68% success rate, 6% win per share, win percentage share added. So an incredible stat line. I and I don't mean to take away from what is probably his best game of the year, but there were just some games. Mm-hmm. There was there were a couple of balls that if he'd thrown them differently, or one thing differently had happened, would have been intercepted. Which look, I get it if wishes were fishes or whatever, but I think it's worth talking about because Missouri's not the best defense we're going to play, or the most talented defense we're going to play over the next few games. Uh, I would say Stat looks really good on deep balls. He can really throw like he he. I think his sort of like sweet spot is. 10 to 15 yards behind downfield uh, on the sidelines or sort of like improvising out of the pocket in front of him, right? Like if, if you, if he can get anybody running across the field parallel to his sort of track as he rolls out of the pocket, he's, he's pretty dangerous, but I will say, and I am not a QB whisperer and I'm not, I'm not claiming to be, but I do think that like, he still is not comfortable throwing over the middle of the field. He's not very good at it, which it's, mm-hmm. that's why he's not comfortable at it, right? And I don't know that he works – like, he's really good at running under duress, and he really saved himself his legs several times, which you can't take that away from him. But I don't know how good he is at working to a second or third option or trying to work back to, to other routes under duress, which nobody is, but we're talking about the number one team in the nation. So I think there's a pretty high bar of scrutiny yeah. that we can we can point at these guys. Um, JT looked really rusty, right? The interception he threw was behind his receiver – if he throws it in front of his receiver, it's probably a game for a, a pretty good game. Um, I thought he had some really good audibles at the line. I think one of the touchdowns he threw, he audibled into a little screen. He checked at the line into it, and he threw it really well. He throws across the middle of the field well. He Even Rusty, you can tell uh, he he just is making good decisions, even if like mechanically maybe it's not there. Or, you know, there were, there were a couple of times where like he had a he had a play action or he had a deep, a deep bomb that he didn't get out in time that he probably should have thrown away. But I thought for his first game back after like basically a month and a half off, he looked really good. Um, that's where we are, right? I'm not going to say that JT is like the perfect, the perfect replacement for Stetson or that Stetson doesn't bring anything. I think if the question is, who can you take into Tennessee and beat Tennessee with? Then yeah, I think you can do that with Stetson. I'm a little worried about Tennessee. I think they're a pretty good team. Um, but I think we can still beat them with Stetson. But if the question is who can mm-hmm. get you through SEC championship, college football semifinal, college football championship, I f- probably still feel better about JT. The fact that we saw JT yeah. in this game, even if we waited until the second half when the game wasn't in doubt, makes me think that he still has a shot at it, right? That he still has a shot to get this job back. Uh, I, yeah. After seeing it, I trust what Kirby said that he hasn't been practicing as well, or, you know, that he's not back to full form. I don't think he's hurt, but I do think that it's worth saying that he probably is not back at, you know, preseason form yet. So I don't know. Where's your head at here? Uh, I mean, everything you said is true. It's, it's, I think the moment that JT stepped foot on the field, it seemed like, not that he was in his own head, because that's me just projecting, but he definitely seemed rusty. You're right. I, I'll also add that every snap he took in that first drive was a bad snap. <laughs> like, one was by his hip, another was too high, one was too low. Like, they were all in the wrong place. And so he was cleaning up past that, too. 
that just might be part of the game, but it might have been me being overcritical and watching uh, a little bit more intently than I normally do when someone steps foot on the field. But you're you, that that definitely added to it, I think. Um, and everything you said about Stetson, like if Stetson did not, if Stetson was not able to run, I don't think he'd be starting. I think we should we would have been seeing a different backup quarterback in this position if he wasn't able to run and clean up the way he does with his legs, because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the guy is is too short to throw over the line consistently. Uh, he's as tall as I am <laughs> and he's playing with a bunch of dudes as tall as you are or in the fiction you've created the other way around. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is as tall as you are playing with a bunch of guys as tall as I am. Mm-hmm. So that just doesn't add up. So if the thing that, and that's why so often I feel Stetson throws slightly behind, he throws too far. And that's why we see, we, we're put in these positions where we say, man, Stetson had a really good deep ball because if he has athletes that are running the routes they're supposed to route and they're beating their guys consistently, which these Georgia players are, Stetson has a very good day. And I think that is the big difference between to the two players with different ceilings is like one of them does what they're supposed to do and they do well as long as people are doing their jobs too. And the best do well regardless. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they make others around them better. They make plays. Uh, and I don't think that that's def- necessarily Stetson's strong suit. I think he's a good play manager. I think he cleans up the way he needs to, but it only goes so far. So uh, I think you're right in saying that we'll be fine against Tennessee. I am afraid to see how Tennessee fans will react just because they've been real nasty all season, uh, even to their own team. And so I am kind of concerned about mm. that and concerned about unnecessary injuries. But yeah. Yeah, well, I guess we'll see what happens. Uh, it's a weird time. I'll also note that it seems, and this might be me just projecting again, and I'd love to see if there's any statistical backup for this. Uh, it seems that in games where Stetson is the clear starter because there is no one else behind him, he does better than on days where he could be benched. And I felt like that was true for this game. Like, and then earlier in the season when it, he was the starter, clearly because JT was hurt and he could not start, it was a very different time. But you're right also in saying that this was Stetson's best game on the season, at least by the numbers. And so it's weird. It's weird. It's all a weird, messy mess. And I wish we just knew what was going on so that we can stop speculating about it. <laughs> yeah. It's I, something we talk about every week and it's it's become more than it had to, I feel, because we don't have any actual answers. Yeah, I mean... I. I, I totally agree. And I, I think one thing you said that was really like cogent and accurate is just like it, you see Stetson's performance is not necessarily reflected in the stats. And I think that's mm-hmm. totally part of it. And I think you have to like, we can't see practice. Right. And it's such a dumb mm-hmm. media cliche to say that. And I think at this point, in some ways, I think JT's performance kind of validated, uh, Kirby Smart's decision making, but but I think you're right. It's like if he can't run, he's sunk. And normally that yep. doesn't matter because he can run. But in a situation yep. where I think one of the reasons, like the faster the guys you're playing against get, the slower you are, right? So what? Mm-hmm. So the fact, and I think that was a really smart thing you said about like if he couldn't run, he would already be out. Well, the problem is, of course, that. If you play a truly elite defense, which we might not have to play, to be fair, like there are not a lot of truly elite defenses in the nation this year, and there certainly aren't a lot uh, remaining on the schedule. But when you have to play a truly elite defense, which, you know, Bama's defense is not elite, but they're definitely top 10 per SP plus. 
and they have mm-hmm. a bunch of five stars. When you play that kind of defense, you get slower. Everybody on your team gets slower. And like that's what UGA has been winning on this year, right? Teams are slower when they play us because everybody on our defense is a five star or can just run anyway, right? So like right now, UGA's defensive SP plus score is 8.8, giving up 8.8 points per play against or or 8.8 points against an average team basically and bama's that's first and bama's is ninth at 15.2 but it's still top 10 right and you know of other teams that we might see on the on the year uh i guess theoretically texas a&m is 13.9 is fifth uh let's see ohio state 17.4 is 13th right we might theoretically cincinnati 15.9 is 11th so those are all teams, and by comparison, if you want to go down to Missouri, this Missouri team we just played, uh, Missouri's defensive SP plus score is uh, 31.4, which is 100th. So oh. this is all sort of a two-sway way of saying that the runs that Stetson makes against teams that we beat so easily may or may not be there as often. Now, a lot of times Stetson's sort of genius is that he runs at the right time. He knows when to just... He, mm-hmm. I think he's he's a, he does a really good job of seeing when like, hey, there aren't any guys on that side of the field, and even their super fast five stars aren't going to be able to get over here before I just sort of scamper out of the pocket. Which that kind of thing is great, but like, I don't know that he's going to be able to reliably extend plays against every team that we're going to play. And we've seen running quarterbacks have that problem against Georgia, and we're not going to play anybody with Georgia's defense. But I think that really things start to break down in his game when you get there, right? When you get to the point mm-hmm. where he is. He no longer has the speed advantage with his feet. That's when problems start. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll have to see. It's it sucks. It's <laughs> one of those things where like like it sucks because like my attitude with this te- with this with this podcast is always like if we just throw data at it and we try to uh, we we try to be as objective as possible and we try to just extract the narratives and be the smartest football fans we can, we can make an aggregate prediction a lot of the time. The problem is that like, I can tell you based on what I think and what I can infer that the coaches think based on usage, what I think should happen, right? Which is, I think JT should probably take this this job back eventually, and I think he will. But since I don't have access to practice and I'm not like a football guy in that sense, I can't really tell you what's going to happen. <laughs> and so it's like one of those things where, you know, I expect Stetson will probably start against Tennessee. I think... Being in Neyland, is it's a rough place to play, both physically and mentally. And so it wouldn't shock me to see if JT got some time. And I think we're going to have to just yeah. watch practice reports closely. So following this past game, though, do you think that we get a switch or do we see Stetson start again in the same way we saw this game start? I, I think I did not think at all that there was going to be a switch. I fully expected to see mm-hmm. Stet on the field against Missouri on the first day on the first uh the uh on the first play of the game I'm not saying that I think that he the switch is going to happen but it feels way more possible uh you know Mm -hmm. you want a steady maybe reliable option when you're in Neyland so that would maybe be an argument for starting Stet but I think that if you see JT getting snaps at all that means he's practicing better and not all recovery from injuries is linear, but if his recovery is linear and he keeps getting better and better, we know that at his best, he's already beaten Stetson out for this job. 
So I think as we go on and we get into Tennessee and Charleston Southern, it becomes more and more likely that he starts. I think I would probably mm-hmm. still put odds of Stetson being the starter at above 50%, but I think it's probably more like 60-40 than like 70-30, right? Where he just, the yeah. more time he gets in practice to reacclimate with just the speed of the game, the more time he gets to feel healthier, the more time he, you know, gets comfortable in his body again, the more likely he is to pass Stetson because we know objectively that he's done it before. Yeah. Exactly. 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 <laughs> Here's some prediction reviews for you. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, there was an over under Zamir White, 99 and a half rushing yards. We both said over. Um, he had less, didn't he? He didn't have he had like, more than that. He didn't have, he had like 14 or something. He did not do well in the day, actually. Yeah, that's what I thought. Like everybody had way for, uh, for the day. That's why I was like, wait a minute. Nine carries for 14 yards and one touchdown, 1.56 yards per play. Negative 0.15 EPA per play, negative 1.32 EPA on the day total, and 33% success rate. Not great. Not great, Bob. Well, dang. <laughs> uh, Connor Blazelik, Blazelak uh, is how I wish it were pronounced. Uh, 148 and a half passing yards. We always said under. That's correct. Uh, two and a half Georgia plays with 50 plus rushing yards. I said under. You said over. Well, they were all like right under. Yeah. Um, so you got that one. Which is a real shame. Uh 0.5 JT Daniel snaps. We both said over and felt good. Uh, over under Georgia, one and a half defensive touchdowns. It was under um, nine and a half passes for Georgia. It was over. It was not a run all day kind of game. There were plenty of passes. Stets. Stet had plenty of yards thrown through the air, which was great. Plenty of bombs. Three and a half hours game time. We were out of there by 315. That game was uh, the final that came, buzzer. That game rang. Blue by. So that puts, uh, let's see. So you were at, you had one, two, three, four, five correct. And I had one, two, three, four correct. Ah, so you went, well, mm-hmm. you win the week, except I think it's a tie because I predicted the final score at 45 to seven. You predicted at 42 to three. And I, I think I was like literally one point less in absolute error. Um, I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. So... Good job Damn. by us. We we're very close. I was only, I was, uh, let's see, four points off total, and you were football. What? I just said football. Yeah, you were. You were only, <laughs> let's see, seven points off. So those are both very good. So now it's time for everyone's favorite segment, Ask CBC, presented by a sponsor that we don't have yet. So please hit us up. Hey, hit us up with that sponsor money. Would you like to start that, us? That truck. Uh, yes. We have an email coming in from Jonathan Fuller. Uh, and in my mind earlier, I was thinking about this, that I really wish I could, uh, you know, if I am really good at my job as an editor, at this point, I would just play really not even good at my job. If I'm not lazy about this, this is where like a very formal, um, like piano music will start playing as I, I read out this very formal uh, email. Actually, going forward, everybody who emails us, I would love it to be in some very like formal old English style, please, so that we can read it with pomp and circumstance. Uh, and I will play a beautiful song underneath it. So <laughs> I will say, hold on, let me let me add one thing to that. I'm pretty good yes. at Middle English. I'm okay at Old English. If you do anything before mm-hmm. about like Beowulf era, Be- Beowulf, Beowulf era, then I have a problem. So just dialectically, just <laughs> I need somewhere between... Beowulf and like about 1650 if you want me to do it accurately. All right, carry on. All right. Jonathan Fuller asks, greetings. 
I hope your witness of the tiger rump was enjoyable. Also, I have a question. How many Nathan's hot dogs could fit into Nayland Stadium versus how many Nathan Lawrence's could fit into Nayland Stadium? Please assume the following. All Nathan's hot dogs are six inches, whole, unpackaged, naked. Nathan's famous boneless, skinless Franks. All Nathan Lawrence's are fully grown. <laughs> the weight of stacking objects will not compromise objects' structural integrity. Four, there is no lid on the stadium. Stacking can continue until Nathan's, dog or man, begin to fall from the rim of the stadium. Uh, so, yeah, that's Ahem. the question from Jonathan Fuller. Right, and so you've done many maths. Well, I did some rough math, and this is wrong because... I didn't take the time to do the actual equation for how much I should subtract for rounded corners on the rectangular surface of Neyland. And I don't know Neyland's actual height at the top rim. And I've done a lot of research about what the top rims, how high up the top rims of stadiums are. And also I've been to Neyland uh-huh. a few times so I can give you like a rough estimate. So these are, these are rough estimations. Also, I didn't want to weigh myself to get my exact displacement because that felt a little like body negative and I don't want to be. So I just, I did some rough estimations, but I can give you some, Back of the napkin math on this. You ready? Do do not look at Discord until you are done with this. Take okay. your eyes off Discord. I'm, I'm going to hit I'm you not. with the latest, like the hottest breaking news right afterwards. All right. So, uh, based on some rough estimates, which is that I got on Google Maps and I used the map measuring tool to measure the satellite image of Neyland Stadiums, uh, and I just used the basically length time width times height for it to get the cubic meters uh, that that we would need. So it is 81,615,600 cubic feet, roughly. I estimated the height of Neyland at 150. It does not seem that high, but most of the ground, most of the, a lot of the stadium is under street level. And the Mm -hmm. average stadium height, based on what I was able to research, the tallest top of the stadium claims to be Ohio State's horseshoe, which I think is something like 220. I've seen 160, 140, 130 for a lot of the others. So I put it at 150, just as a rough estimation of height at the top rim of the stadium. So that gives it, that's uh, two, let's see. That gives us 24,876,434.88 cubic meters, roughly. Um, assuming that the average human has a displacement of 62,000 cubic centimeters uh, based on the average human's weight in grams or 0.62 cubic meters. Now let's make it 0.75 meters given that I'm a huge human. Um, so 31, <laughs> or 685,798.4 Nathans would fit in Neyland given perfect stacking slash compression and structural integrity. Now each hot dog, each Nathan's they're not boneless. That was a weird thing to add. But each Nathan's hot dog, uh, <laughs> per, per, <laughs> per the information I looked up on the Nathan's Famous Hot Dogs website, which was a fascinating, a, a surprisingly compelling website. Uh, each of their standard hot dogs is 3.5 ounces, which is about 100 grams. It's 99 point something. Uh, but that's 0.001 cubic meters, which basically means that each Nathan holds 700. Each Nathan holds 750 Nathan's. Nathan's Famous Hot Dogs. Um, so <laughs> at the end point, Neyland stadium holds 248,764,348,800 Nathan's famous hot dogs and 331,685,798.4 Nathan's Nit Lawrence's attorneys general. Now that also, I think sort of assumes that like every, all, every Nathan is perfectly stacked and there's no wasted space. Also, those numbers are both probably high because Neyland Stadium is not a regular rectangle, but has like, 
it's sort of like an oblate rectangle with the corners cut off and i didn't take the time i think you would probably take like eight to ten percent off of both of those numbers all right can i look at the discord now you may guess what just happened Todd Grantham has just been let go along with the, uh, the offensive line coach for Florida. Uh, what's his face? John Hevesy? Hevesy? How do you say Hevesy. his name? I don't even know this that guy. This is my greatest nightmare because now I have to talk about actual football and not hot dog mathematics, which is what I want to talk about. <laughs> oh, what? I just think it's, why? it's fan. Cruel like... world, why must you distract me from the my art? I am making hot dog art. <laughs> I am I am the Jackson hot dog, the Jackson Pollock of bad hot dog math. And yes, Jack, the Jackson Pollock These of bad skinless franks. Yes, the Jackson Pollock of bad hot dog math is called Jackson hot dog. That was not a sopolism. They're firing Ted. That's Grant. a real thing. No, solipsism is is the whole thing that like the self is all that can be known to exist. No, spoonerism. Is when you say one you you say something that you don't mean to say. It's like a verbal typo, which ironically oh, okay. gotcha. that last thing was a spoonerism about spoonerisms. Anyway, um, but yes, I am Jackson Hot Dog, the Jackson Pollock of hot dogs, bad hot dog mask. Uh, do you want to talk about Todd Grantham before we? Yeah, yeah. I think it's wild that they. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's not that wild that the assistant coaches are going before big dumb Dan Mullen. Well, I mean, uh, I think everybody assumed that they would fire Todd Grantham at the end of the season as like the sort of sacrificial sort of offering to stave off. Like he was going to be the like paraffin coated effigy that they burnt at the end of the at the end of the season to get you know get the smell out of the room. But <laughs> this kind he was of the sage, yeah, they, they were going to smoosh or sm- what's it called smushing when you burn sage? I always forget what it's called. Anyway, yes, I, I don't even know. Hold on. <clears throat> I, I want to get that right. Because I know enough hippie types that someone will... Smudging. Sorry. Someone's going to comment. Smudging. Yeah, he was like the... Todd Grantham is a human sage smudge. Um, I. It strikes me as a little desperate. I don't know that it's going to save yeah. Dan Mullen's job. I will say, I think at this point, they have to beat Florida State. If you lose to this Florida yeah. State team as Dan Mullen, you're gone. You might get Tarmac. He's gone. Like you, got, you might get Lane Kiffin if you lose to Florida State. I know I have not listened to anything from or looked at anything from Richard jo- Johnson or Stephen Godfrey, who I'm sure would know more than me. But I I don't know. <sighs> I don't know if this is going to help if you're Dan Mullen. The team <laughs> seems to have quit, right? And I, I yeah. who are the remaining games? Let's see. I know they're playing Ooh, some body uh, bag Florida game. State. There's Florida State. Yeah, they have a body bag. Yeah, so you're playing uh, Samford, Missouri, and Florida State to end the season. You have to win all three of those games, basically. Missouri might beat them. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it depends on who starts, and they might actually be able to run on Missouri because they have a probably better interior offensive line when it comes to run blocking than we do. Uh, they're going to beat the crap out of hmm. Sanford. I think they'll probably beat Missouri. They have to beat Florida State. They have to, have to, have to beat Florida State. Yeah, if they lose like, to Florida State, Dan Mullen is 100% well, gone. It, I think it also has to do with, like, I, I don't know what it's like to be a, a Florida fan at all, clearly. But uh, I think if you're Florida and you look at where Florida State is right now, I I think, like, you got to feel like 
we have to beat this team. Like Mike Norvell has been a PR mess on and off. They aren't recruiting that well. They've recruited kind of like better, but they aren't recruiting super well. They have been miserable. Like they are a program in disarray. Florida State is right now. I, I mean, it's it's a poorly kept secret that like the da- the dog wags the tail over there, and that the athletic director, former athletic director, had a lot of problems with the boosters. And there's this like booster like CEO type over there, and so like that's all a long way of saying that like regardless of who should win, which is still probably Florida, but even if Florida State is favored and the advanced metrics like Florida State, like. Florida still has to win that game because of just a perception thing. Because mm-hmm. I think where Florida State has been, I mean, like, it's like if you were Georgia and you were having a bad season and you lost to last year's Georgia Tech game, Georgia Tech team, you would you would get fired, right? Because it, it doesn't really matter who should win or why you lost. What matters is that, like, Georgia fans just spent the last 11 months making fun of how Jeff Collins is, like, four feet tall and, like, talks too much about Waffle House, right? <laughs> So like you can't afford to lose that team, lose to that team when the perception is the way it is, right? And so I think that's really going to be kind of the season. It's going to be like kind of a career-defining game yeah. for Dan Mullen, I think actually. But Easily. you know, if yeah. he loses to Missouri, also, he's screwed anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's also just a very odd kind of, I guess, logistically speaking thing because you keep Dan Mullen, but you fire the defensive coordinator, and now you have this issue of you can't start hiring until people know whether or not Dan Mullen will be there at the end of the year. You could start hiring and recruiting people now. Uh, yeah, I mean... But now they're in this weird position. I know. Why would you why would you commit to that that job if you didn't know who your boss was going to be, who's going to be leading the team at the end of the year? And the, the same goes the opposite way around. Like, if you get rid of Dan Mullen now, you could set an, an interim manager in there, an interim coach, and start hiring for his position now instead. And, I mean, Todd Grantham's really not... I mean. Who's going to harm the team more, I guess? Todd Grantham or Dan Mullen? <laughs> so, really I guess they, they have more gas in his tank is what they're thinking. I guess you have to assume that the only guy who they have as like an assistant head coach is Tim Brewster, who is their tight end coach. So there's not like an obvious guy to step up into their into that spot. Um, mm-hmm. I know Garrick no Garrick McGee's the quarterback coach and they want to fire him too. Um Christian Robinson is probably he's a former Georgia player, ironically. He's probably, I think, the guy that like perception wise is faring the best on that defensive staff. Uh he's a pretty good recruiter, so he might take over. I I, I don't know. I mean, you can't hire you're right. You can't hire anybody else, right? No. Like man. you you're man, pretty man, much man, man, man. You're pretty much sunk on that front. You're going to have to just go to an interim and hope that you get extended at the end of the year. Is this the one? So <laughs> what if Edo comes over? <laughs> I mean, what Edo if comes really over and becomes the next coach? Florida, Florida I don't, coach. I don't, I don't know the last yeah. time that he, um, I don't know the last time they actually coached defense, like from a coordinator perspective. Mm-hmm. All right. Do we want to get back to ask CBCs? We can, we can hit this when we know more. Yeah. Yeah. We'll hit this next week. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, obviously yeah, LOL, 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 Florida. I kind of hate it. Cause LOL, I want Dan LOL. Mullen. I want Dan Mullen to get like <laughs> re- permanently hired or whatever. All right. Oh yeah. Uh, I've moved a couple of these to next week. So if you asked one and you're not hearing it today, it's cause it's moved to the next show. Just so you know, uh, everybody listening. Next question comes from Abby. What was your favorite chaos football game on Saturday? Uh, me personally, I absolutely loved the UNC and Wake Forest game. Uh, I was it was happening at the same time while we were there at you know uh, watching the Georgia game for the most part. But I got to see like the last couple, maybe twenty minutes of playtime, 
absolutely bonkers. Absolutely bonkers that I think these teams probably would have been better off if they just left their offenses on the field mm-hmm. regardless of whether they were on offense or defense. Just yeah. so they could get the offense back on the field faster. <laughs> All right. What so, a game. Uh, what mine a mine game. was Florida, South Carolina, but that was just because mm-hmm. like it is hard. It is it is hard to uh, to express to it's hard to express the degree to which Florida got their ass whipped. Like just absolutely yeah. quit. And that was really great. Um do you want to do the puzzle question from Irk Russell? I know we're moving we're gonna move his other question to the next next show. Sure. Yeah. Oh, this is a, that's actually a Christie in London question. Oh, Christie. Yeah, sorry. Christie in London. So this is, we're spoiling this as we go. All right. You ready? Uh Uh-huh. Who comes next in this sequence and why? Brock Vandegrift, Stetson Bennett the fourth, Jackson Muschamp, Carson Breck. If it helps, the sequence does continue from there. And the next answer after that would be N'Kobe Dean, JT Daniels, Brock Bowers, and so on. Uh, I think I figured it out. I'm pretty sure I figured it out. Brock Vandegrift. Stetson Bennett. Yeah. I have to look at it and, and hold on. I'm pulling it up so I can look at it. I'm I th- I think I I think I know, but I'm not going to say it because I want to. I want to not. Um... Oh, yep. I figured it out. I figured it out. I don't know it. The answer is Lewis Seen, I believe. Does that help? Why? Because... Hold on. No, go ahead. Yeah, well, I just... The one that tips it away is that N'Kobe Dean, JT Daniels, and Brock Bowers is the giveaway. Because N'Kobe Dean is, is jersey number 17, JT Daniels is 18, Brock Bowers is 19. 18, 19. Minutes, 13, That's what I thought it was Jackson at first. Champions 14, uh, Carson is 15, and then 16 is Robert Beal. I think you could always also put David Daniel in there. I think he's 14 2, maybe off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought about I was like, maybe it's jersey numbers, and I was like, that's too easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I just let it go. I was like, there's something with their names. There's something with a, like, these are, there was a BB and there was a, yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> you, but, you, you, like, you went Da Vinci's Code when you really needed to go, like, yeah, National I did, Treasure. Yeah. It's like Brock Vandegrift and there's a V in Stetson Bennett the fourth and his last name yeah. is B as well. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's too much, too much. Uh, next question. Oh, uh, you know, a long time, a uh, long time listener. I haven't had a question from a long time. Chapel Wable distribution. What's up with all the UGA fans getting angry that teams try to score in garbage time? Well, I don't. Yeah, I don't understand that. I think. Look, I think the three the three timeouts at the end of the game are defensible because if you're you're trying to have, you know you're trying to get some kind of continuity and you have a young quarterback and you're trying to prove every snap matters. We're going to play to the end. We want to get you as many snaps as possible. Like if they ask what's, if they ask uh, Eli Drinkwitz, you know, that's his answer. What his answer is going to be. And that's probably fine. I think the reason that fans are pissed is because as an, well, I know like an in stadium experience, it sucked because it's like, all right, we've been here for three hours. The game's been over for like mm-hmm. 45 minutes. If you're if you're the kind of person who either has to be there because you're working the game in some capacity, or you're the kind of person who just like refuses to leave before the end of the game for just like superstitious reasons. I almost just said religious reasons, but I guess, yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, if, if you're the kind of person who won't leave, it, it sucks when the game's been over for 
an hour, and then you got this guy like calling timeouts in the end zone. So I, I totally understand why fans are upset, but I don't. I don't know. Like I don't know that Kirby would really. Like I saw some people be like, "Oh, we're gonna hang sixty on Missouri next year." I'm like, maybe we are, but like, honestly, like I think if you truth serumed Kirby, he doesn't mind mm-hmm. that he got his second string to care enough about preserving, you know, no touchdowns or whatever. Uh, that they got out there and got some experience in a goal line situation. Like I, I think that Drinkwitz's reason for doing it is probably similar to why Kirby wouldn't be upset about it, which is that like. If you really think that every step matters and you really want to get as much experience in for every guy on the team, then yeah, what putting your second team defense in a goal line stand situation is it's good. I mean, it's good for your morale when, you know, your team does that and you know the the sideline lights up. Although I will say like the sideline did not look very enthused. I think the first two timeouts were probably more explicable than the third one, which was kind of just like, guys, what are we doing? <laughs> like, what are we doing here? Like <laughs> like it's fourth down. Just like I mean, and it's like I get it. You don't have a defeat f- formation. You don't take a knee in that point. But like, do you need mm-hmm. the third timeout? I don't know. I I, I understand why people yeah. are upset, but I don't really, you know. Eric Russell asked, "How would Justin's life be different if he was actually six foot eight? You know, it's yours to answer, my boy. <laughs> Airline travel would be a nightmare. That 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 much it I can probably tell you. would be. Can, no, no, that one I know from experience. The rest I can't answer. Yeah. I mean, that's all. I mean, you're, you actually could answer this better than I could, I feel, because I don't know what it's like to be six foot eight. I mean, I, anything that I need to reach, I feel like I can reach. So I think, I think six. What are the joys of being much taller, Nathan? You're six, 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 five. I'm six, five and a half. I, what am I missing out on? I mean, I, I actually think there's a like line of demarcation right around six, six, where like, Thing, when you're six five or six six, things aren't really built to be your size. Like you don't fit in things the way mm-hmm. you should sometimes, and that can be very like, ugh, I feel like shit about it. But I think yeah. that like six seven, six eight, that's when you start getting into territory of like you like the world was not designed for people your size, right? Like you're an NBA uh-huh. player, yeah, NBA player size. Like I think that's kind of the line. It's like six eight ish. So I think that a six eight person might have more problems than I do, like in a car, where I already have still some problems in like a regular size car or in a in uh you know in an airline situation or in like a roller coaster <laughs> like roller coasters really <laughs> suck for tall people hanging roller coasters not really are, made for you are great hanging roller coasters thumbs up amazing could not recommend enough uh but roller coasters where your feet are like inside of a cab awful um but you know what are the joys of it i mean look frankly like today, I was trying to get some cranberry juice at Publix, and there was only like one left at the very back, and I think I got it just because I was the only person who could reach it. And like, <laughs> certainly, um, I have received no small amount of romantic attention over my life because of my height, <laughs> and in large uh-huh. part from my wife. So I can't. I'm not going to pretend like you don't. There aren't some advantages. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, it's bad for back problems. Good for your your love life, probably is the I'd say the the big big takeaway. Sucks to be in a car trip. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, kind of sucks because like when you have like Sasquatch arms, it's just really easy to hit hit crap, just to destroy things. Uh, uh, yeah, but don't you know, know where your arms are. I think it's it's all it's all trade offs. I think the biggest thing for you would be that like you're sort of like uh, you're. You know, and and this is not this is not a sex thing. Before I say this, I want to say out loud: this is not a sex <laughs> thing. I this is, I mean this is a totally okay. platonic thing. Okay, so like, go ahead. When you're married to someone, like you have a default like physical 
relationship. And I don't mean that in a sex way. I mean it in a like, like when Samantha is beside me, I know what a Samantha shaped person feels like in relationship to my body. Right. And one of the problems I have had in the past is that your wife is basically the same size as my wife. And I have like grabbed the back of her arm a couple of times because she's at the same Mm -hmm. height. But generally speaking, when Samantha's around me, like I kind of know what that is about. So I'm pretty sure if that changed, like by a foot, I would just have no idea how to approach my wife physically in any way, like in a day in and day out basis. Mm-hmm. It, it's not a sex thing. And I want to say that again, if, if it was a sex thing, I would just tell you. You know, sometimes the more you say it, it sounds like you were trying to convince me. It's not more than just providing a disclaimer. That's true. As if you believe it is actually. I mean, no, sex, no, no. Look, sex there would be a sex thing. I'm talking about a separate. I'm talking about like find your spouse in a crowd thing. And I know that even that mm-hmm. could be a sex thing, but like that's a separate conversation. I'm talking about like, for instance, I'll give you an example. Because of the height difference, because I of of my wife and I, like cuddles are a very like Nathan is usually the big spoon person because I don't want to crush my wife, right? If you were a foot and a half taller, you would have to think about that a little bit more, is all I'm saying. With that, that concludes this episode's segment of Ask CBC. We'll have a few more that we move to the next show, just because there are so many good ones. And we still have a a bit to get through in this one. So the very first next segment, which is a weird way to say just the next segment. Do you have voice aphasia? What is going on right now, man? What is happening to me? Uh, Uh... <laughs> I've lost control. Uh, so it is the triumphant return of Dr. James Beerfield. It's the, uh, you know, his troll corner, the one that's presented by Cheerwine. It's the wine that gives diabetes, TM, TM, TM. He has sent in his own note, his own. It's not even the notes app. It's some other app that he's sent in that he has on his phone that even has an ad present. Like you have an you have a, an app that does this already. I don't know why you had to download an additional I, app to do this just to make theory... it look like. Yeah, I think a yellow he, tablet. I think he downloaded a separate bad app, like bespoke Just for to this mess with us? experience. Yes, in true James Bearfield fashion. What a genius! <laughs> All right, the title says sayings slash jokes. Uh, it says, "I'm back, boys. Sorry for the hiatus. I've been busy cutting off foreskins." That is something okay. that I think Number that one. is something that residents do in their OBGYN rotation. So it's actually possible. How many foreskins? Uh, how many? No, no, never mind. I'm not going down that route. <laughs> Number one. Why is a new sound system being wasted on wind instruments instead of giving them to Sousa's? Well, the new sound system. You might system, have get some context it, to this. We have a new sound system for our front ensemble, which I think Joel, or I think that James knows this, which is not wind instruments. It's for the synthesizers in the front ensemble, which are mallet instruments. And I think he's mm-hmm. just trolling us. Uh, why is it not? Well, because, right, like, Geniuses are never recognized in their time, right? Part of being an artur and doing the art that we do, our art is that we <laughs> not are, the hot dog math. Yeah, not the hot. That's my art, but our art is the Sousa <laughs> art that we're doing. And you know, we I think every Sousa knows when they move in that you know we are going to be a Van Gogh, right? Like no one's going to love us in our time, but one day they'll have museums full of our stuff, and everyone will have a phone case with our pictures on it, and that's. That's the part of the burden of genius, right? That's 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 what it is. Next question. As an English teacher who makes a living teaching narratives, why do you hate football narratives, Nathan? Because I don't want chocolate in my peanut butter. No, uh, 
because I think that... <laughs> I want toothpaste in my orange juice. I love narratives, but I think that culturally and societally, narratives are manipulated to make people believe things that aren't true constantly. And while I certainly don't mm-hmm. think that, you know, the, the employing of underdog narratives or employing sort of like uh, narratives to make the game seem closer than it is, those things don't you know, fundamentally undermine our democracy. But I do think similar manipulations of narrative structures do undermine our democracy pretty liter- uh, pretty regularly, both in the United States and, and across the world. And I think that, you know, when we use narratives to talk about sports and make them seem different than what we see, we are giving tacit permission for people in power to talk about the world and make the world different than what we see. We are giving them tacit permission to lie to our faces, right? Similarly to the to the idea that like when you start believing a small lie about yourself, you're giving yourself to permission to 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 believe big lies about the world, right? So like if there is like a public service component to this very very stupid podcast to me, it is to <laughs> tell people and to help people approach football and sports and silly things in a way that is uh intellectually rigorous which i think is what leads to better outcomes in things that actually matter mm-hmm. and that's the only time i'm going to be smart tonight back to hot dog math beautifully said back to hot dog math uh a Missouriable poem please yeah so i was gonna read tiger uh tiger poem tiger tiger burning bright which is by mm-hmm. uh tennyson tiger maybe? tiger burning bright uh, hold on it's gonna bother me if i don't how many stars do I see tonight? It, that actually... Tiger, Tiger... It's by William Blake. It's is from that, Songs is that pretty Innocence. much it? Yeah, Tiger, Tiger, Bergen Bright, In the Forest of the Night. What a mortal hand, for eye, or hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry. Songs of Infants, Song of Experience. Anyway, William Blake. But I'm not going to read that one because I already did. So I'm going to read Canis <laughs> Major by Robert Frost, which is a poem I really okay. love. And I really love Robert Frost, as we have talked about before. So, the great over... This is from the perspective of Missouri, by the way. The great overdog, the heavenly beast with a star in one eye, gives a leap in the east. He dances upright all the way to the west and never once drops on his forefeet to rest. I'm a poor underdog, but tonight I will bark with the great overdog that romps through the dark. It's applicable. We are the overdog. No longer the underdog, only overdog. Yeah. But which one is updog? Shut up. Uh, final segment of the show is the Yara's Rage Against the Machine, and I'm just going to put, like, Yara's made this into an art form, and so I really, I'm going to post this on our, or one of us can post this on our Twitter later because it's beautiful and everybody should see it, as long as there's nothing in here that's, like, identifying it anyway. But, uh, number one, describe the game in three words, go! Well, you were there for this one. I think you should do it. Um. Hmm. Cold, <laughs> but Braves. But Braves. Doesn't really, you know, it's Beautiful. more, but no, Braves. evocative. Cold, Incredibly, but Braves. You know what? Sometimes poetry is really about the words you don't say more than it is. It's like jazz, more than words you do say. <laughs> and I decided to use but in, in, the, in my very <laughs> limited art form mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Coordinating conjunction, you know, it's important. It's... <laughs> Number two, why does everybody think our Lord and Savior Jordan Davis is 26, huh? This is a joke I've been seeing on Twitter a lot. What's up well, with that? Well, because he looks like a full-ass man. Look he does. 
You know that I don't think Jordan Davis looks like a full ass man as much as any of the dudes that have just like thick ass mustaches and nothing else do. Mm-hmm. Those mm-hmm. are the dudes that look like someone's uncle cop. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. someone's uncle cop from a '90s sitcom or '80s sitcom. Yeah, uh, is what those dudes all look like. So. Yeah. <laughs> Number three. This morning, a customer said JT Daniels is announcing his transfer tomorrow. What? Sad face. Sad face. I don't think that that's true. I mean, maybe your customer's right, but I don't think the customer at your work, which I know where it is, but I'm not going to like dox you. Uh, I don't think your customer is gonna is knows better than anybody else. All right. It's important. Did you know that Nick Saban is five seven? This is further evidence that all five seven men are evil and bad. Examples: one, Nick Saban, Mussolini. Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, Joe Rogan, Tom Cruise, Ben Shapiro. See, this is just more, more like more tender on the fire that is my um, my PowerPoint presentation one day that Nick Saban might actually be the the Judeo Christian devil because birthdays on Halloween. His favorite number is obviously thirteen, I guess, or whatever. And his middle name's Lou. He's five seven. Look, all these other boys. You want to know my like worst UGA opinion? My worst English major opinion is that I don't like T.S. Eliot. Hmm. My worst UGA opinion is that I don't like super hate Nick Saban. Like I think he's like a really good coach and he seems like a pretty good human. Um, he does. I'm actually. sorry. I'm sorry. It's guys. all kind of an act for me. I mean, I do, I don't mind it all. I, that much. Do I hate Alabama? Yes. That's not a question. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, if you're asking, do I go into paroxysms of rage when I see that particularly ugly shade of just like I would say like rotting pig's blood red yeah absolutely but i don't like particularly hate nick saban he's just a you know he's the he's the deal with the devil that they made they're the problem faust is the bad guy of faust not the devil Mm. what was your favorite part of the game mine was either blooper what is this blooper Blooper and the dog pick i think that's an an ampersand oh okay i see now Blooper and the dog pick, Jumbotron, or yeah, Yara was on the Jumbotron. I remember seeing them in the Jumbotron. Or meeting Bestie Justin, smiley face. Mine was definitely meeting Yara. There it is. Ha! Mine was seeing my two good friends meet each other. I love when friends meet that haven't met. I That's like my, as like a, a sort of compulsory extrovert, my, my, my greatest, mm-hmm. like my greatest dream is to have all the people that I like and know in the same place all at once. Which is why parties that's that how I, I feel. Which is why when I throw parties, it's very, very chaotic because I invite people who it's maybe like just... shouldn't be at the same party. Yes, <laughs> I, I am constantly <laughs> taking my Ken and Barbie doll friends and loving their like faces together. Yes, exactly like when Abby and Disney Dog met. Mm-hmm. Six. I hate Alabama. Is there any chance they are going to lose before bowl time? I. You know what? Think- I mean, I think it's more likely than I thought it was at the beginning of the year, but I mean, anybody yes. can lose to Auburn. Auburn and Auburn with nothing to lose is like, it's like a, like a honey badger with its paw stuck in a bear trap. Like, yeah, it's going to die at some point, but it might kill you too. And Alabama has looked mm-hmm. vulnerable in some ways. And I think Bo Nix has the Bo Nix game where he passes out and like weekend it Bernie's his way into like 400 yards, three touchdowns, one touchdown running that they could totally win. <laughs> right. Like Bo Nix is good for one game a year where he like wakes up on Sunday. Uh-huh. And he's like, what happened? Where was I? And they're like, bro, we have a sick story to tell you. And just he's just <laughs> unconscious for the whole game, throwing like fifty yard dimes uh, from like three guys draped over him. <laughs> Number seven. What does it mean to decline a penalty? I saw that during Bama game and was lost. Uh well, yeah. So sometimes if the result of the play is better for you 
Uh, you can you can apply a penalty at any time as a football coach. Normally, they don't ask because almost every time it's 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 better for you to take the penalty. So, like if there's a false start before the actual result of the play is dead, you take the penalty 100 percent of the time because the play was never run on a dead ball foul. But like for instance, if you are the offense on first and ten, and you you throw a 20 yard bomb, well not a bomb, but you throw a 20 yard pass on first and ten, right? And the guy who catches the ball successfully is interfered with like the defense gets a pass interference call that's only worth 15 yards you would decline the penalty because you already got 20 yards you don't need the 15 right so situationally there are some times where it makes more sense because most of the time penalties don't come with a loss of down so you replay the down right so for instance like if you have a third and eight as if you're a defensive team and you have a third and eight and the offensive team holds you a lot of times decline that penalty because you'd rather have fourth and eight than third and 18. Right. If, if you successfully Strategy, the baby. Yeah. It's important. It's important to know. It's important to know how to football. Mm. Yeah. Well, I don't know how to do that. Cause that's when the winners are made and the losers are also made. Oh my God. Will you outro us out of this before like we lose our last <laughs> remaining listener? This has this been Chapel Bell Curve. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else you can subscribe to a podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, who knows why you would want to, but you can do so on Facebook by searching Chapel Bell Curve or email uh, chapelbellcurve at gmail.com or on Twitter, on Instagram. They're all Chapel Bell Curve. If you'd like to support this Chuckle Fuck podcast, give us a dollar or three or five or 50 if you want us to read your ad. Uh, you could do so on our Patreon, patreon.com slash chapelbellcurve. If you enjoyed today's episode, feel free to leave a rating and a review. Five stars, you know, because that's the only option. But, uh, you know, we'll catch you in the Classic City until next week when we go out to see our Neyland Stadium friends. Uh, Those water-stealing sons of bitches. Huge quotes. Those. I'm going to come back with their dog. I'm going to go up there. I'm going to take their dog. I'll bring I it love that. I want your dog. dog. I want your dog. I hate your team and your state. A lot of Smokey lovely people up the there. the transfer portal. All right. Until then. Until then. Go dogs. Go dogs. <laughs>